You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would ask you to open them up with me to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be starting a series, starting today, working our way through the book of Galatians. This, we call it a book. It is really a letter, of course, written by the Apostle Paul. And as we'll see, he writes it to the churches in the region of Galatia. So this letter is not written to a specific church, but rather to a family of churches within a particular region that Paul has traveled and ministered to in time past. It's an important letter for a number of reasons. It becomes something of a foundation letter on the subject of salvation by grace through faith. As opposed to salvation by works or any merit of man, Paul is going to be very strong in defending what Christ alone has accomplished for us at the cross. And it comes out of a a result of trouble coming into these churches. And there, Paul has ministered in this area. Paul was, of course, at one time a persecutor of the church. He was a very strong and zealous Jewish Pharisee. And he thought that this whole Christian movement was heretical to his faith. And so he persecuted it fiercely. But then he met Jesus. Remember the story on, on the road to Damascus, Christ appeared to him. And in that moment, Paul was converted and became a believer in the very faith that he was once persecuting. <clears throat> As a result, God then called him to be an apostle to preach this gospel, to spread this church that he was at one time coming against. And he found himself ministering at a local church in a city called Antioch. This was a city in modern-day Syria. And he and a number of others, pastors and prophets and leaders, were there. And during one of their prayer meetings, the Holy Spirit spoke in the service, we believe probably through someone under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, set Saul and Barnabas apart for me, to the work that I have called them. And this became the commissioning of Saul, also known as Paul, and Barnabas to go out onto the mission field. They left the local church. They were sent by the Holy Spirit, but affirmed and commissioned by their church. Out they went onto the mission field. The first mission trip, first missionary. Out they, they went, and they, their first stop was this area of Galatia, uh, a, a family of cities that were close together, and Paul and Barnabas went through preaching the gospel. You can read all of this in the book of Acts. As they went out, some of the Jewish people believed, but mainly it was the non-Jewish people, the Gentile world, that was receiving the gospel with faith. Well, they planted churches in some of these cities, Uh, Lystra, Iconium, Derbe. These are churches in Galatia where Paul preached the gospel and churches were formed. 
They continued back to their church. They went out on a second missionary journey. Paul would have three missionary journeys that we know of in the book of Acts. But somewhere after this first missionary trip and these churches just getting started, we, we know that this letter was written. And the occasion is that some of the, what they called at that, in that season, Judaizers, these were Christians, but these were Christians that were, prior to being Christians, they were Jewish. And they were steeped deeply in the Jewish faith and the Jewish rituals. That would include, you know, all the, the circumcision. That would include the holy holidays and festivals, the dietary laws, all the commands in the law of the book of Moses. And what these Jewish Christians believed at the time wrongly was that, hey, if these Gentiles, because Jesus was Jewish, he's the Jewish Messiah, if these Gentiles, these non-Jews, want to come in and be a part of, you know, the, the, the work of Christ, then they at least need to be kind of like us. They need to become Jewish before they can become Christians. They need to be circumcised. They need to keep the holy days just, and the Sabbaths, and they need to honor the law of Moses just as we were uh, called to. And then, then they can become good Christians. <clears throat> and of course, Paul is furious about this. We'll see this as we go through in the weeks to come. The Apostle Paul realizes the danger of this kind of teaching. You see, the danger is that somehow you would need something else in addition to what Christ has accomplished for you concerning salvation. And once you think that Christ isn't enough for your saving relationship with God, well, then you've missed Christ altogether. You see, you can't kind of be somewhat believing that Christ is your Savior, but also your good works and your religious duty also helps contribute to the package and is also necessary for salvation. That attitude, although it may sound kind of logical and even appealing sometimes, yeah, yeah, I want to help out. I, I, I need to keep the Sabbath. I need to be Jewish so that I can be a better Christian. That thinking is actually dangerous to the Christian faith because it introduces this idea of works unto salvation. And the gospel is very, very clear. There is no works. There are no additions or, or any merit or contribution that you bring to the work of salvation. Salvation is accomplished by Jesus Christ alone and what he did at the cross. And salvation comes to us through faith alone in Christ alone. This is the anchor and foundation of the gospel. That's why this letter is written. This letter is written to protect the, the new work of the church that had started in this area that Paul founded. And the false teaching of the gospel has been presented. It's misleading. It's persuading some of these new believers to add Judaism to their faith, that they must somehow embrace the Mosaic law and ceremonies to be good Christians, to be better Christians. And this, of course, is something that can't be true and compatible with the gospel. Now, <clears throat> we don't have the same type of controversy in our day. 
right? We're not, we don't have the, the Jewish-Gentile relationship, which was so prevalent in Paul's day, that early century, first century. That's not really something going on in our church today, right? We're not, we don't have uh, Jewish Christians coming and telling us that, hey, you guys need to start, you know, being kosher in your diets and quit eating bacon and start, you know, observing Mosaic law. We, that's not our struggle. God forbid that we would have to give up bacon, let's be honest. <laughs> so that's not, but, but listen, the, the spiritual battle is very real. Let me ask you just some questions. You can think this through. Have you ever thought in your own Christian life that your, your spiritual relationship with God uh, does better when you're helping it along by doing good things? Have you ever felt like your spiritual life with God is, is out of favor because you didn't keep up with some of the religious duties or some of the promises that you made? You see, it creeps in in a subtle way, and I've, I've struggled with this. I struggled with this for years. I, I just imagined that God was, that I was this constant disappointment to him. I knew in my head that, that he had saved me and Jesus had died on the cross for me. I, I was a believer in the gospel, but, but my practical Christian life was such an up and down frustration for me. I, I got to do better. I got to try harder. Oh man, I blew it again. I got, God, I'm never going to, oh Lord, I know, I promise this time. And, I, and, and you get onto this kind of idea that I just, I got to work at it because if I work hard enough and promise, you know, strong enough and, and do well, God will be happier with me. And then when I come to God, I, I won't feel so, you know, out of favor. Like, okay, God, I had a good week, Lord. You know, this was a good week. I, I know that you're, you're okay with me today. And in a, in a, Kind of maybe you don't even realize it, but you are falling into this mindset that somehow the work of Christ is not sufficient in and of itself. That your standing and your favor with God ultimately relies on your performance. And that is the beginning of a treadmill and a downward spiral that will leave you frustrated, condemned, and empty. That's one problem that we see in the churches today. And I think, I know in my own life, it, can be, it, it's, it has caused me trouble in my walk. Another problem is this whole idea of pride. You see, these Jewish believers were coming down and, and, and saying, hey, hey, we're, we're Jewish. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. We keep the law. Okay, welcome Christ into your heart. We have too. But hey, we know the, the, the deeper, better way to be a Christian and spiritual pride. Now, let's be honest. You've seen that. Ever had somebody kind of judge you? What? You don't come to church on Wednesdays? <laughs> you only come on Sundays? <sighs> oh, oh well, God bless you. Mediocre Christian, right? <laughs> what? You don't serve here? You mean you just come, leave, Right? Ah oh, man, that's, I gotta get, I gotta get in the program here. I gotta start doing something. I gotta, I gotta be a better Christian. And see, it becomes out, of, it comes out of duty. It comes out of this guilt. And those that are doing it, they they walk around like, yeah, yeah. Look at me. Look what I do. 
You know, look at, look, you want to see a really good Christian? Watch me, right? Now, they don't say that, but they, have anybody ever felt somebody come off that way? Okay, don't, don't mention any names, but you know, <clears throat> this, this can happen. This can creep right into the Christian church. Pride and then also condemnation. And, and you know, that now there's a balance to this. And this is, this is all introduction to kind of the things that we'll be looking at in greater detail in the book of Galatians. And today we'll just be looking at the first five verses. So let this just be kind of our, our background, our context, so we know what we're looking at as we go forward. The, the, the flip side to this is, well, if works have no basis on my salvation, then I can live any way I want. Who cares? I'm saved by the grace of God in Christ. I can just, I can just keep living, you know, my own deal. I, I can't help get, you know, my salvation anyway. And then it becomes this license to live uh, what we'll call kind of a sloppy Christian life, and, and not being diligent, not really walking in the Spirit. Paul's going to address that too. There is a balance. Uh, salvation comes by what Christ has accomplished alone. But salvation produces a new spiritual life within the heart of the believer. And, and that does change my life. That changes my motivation, my heart, my attitude. And now my life is changing, not because of some duty to earn favor, but my life is changing because the Spirit of God is transforming me because I now have favor. I am in relationship with Him, and it's affecting me. And it flows out of a Spirit-led life, a freedom, a freedom to live in the spirit, not a freedom to live in the flesh and in the world, a freedom now to live for God because I have this peace with God. He's forgiven me. He's cleansed me. He loves me. This is established. And now I'm free to live for him, with him. And these, these acts of service, they flow out of love. They flow out of the inspiration of God, not out of some duty, guilt, self-righteousness, some pressure to perform. So that's the essence of this book, this letter. And I think it's a well-worthy study of ours. And I want to look at least today at the first five verses, just by way of introduction. Take a look with me. Let's get into it. Galatians chapter 1. We'll just read verses 1 through 5, and then I'll come back and look at a few things together. If I were to title today's message, I would call it this, Living for His Glory. Living for His Glory. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul simply introducing himself in the letter to the churches, but there is some very specific things mentioned here, and they're, 
They're important to the theme of what he's getting ready to write about, and I want us to look at a few of those things together as well. The first thing we'll look at is the messenger. Who is writing? Verses 1 and 2. Look again. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, there are other letters that we have from the Apostle Paul, and he's not quite as specific about detailing his apostleship, but he is in this letter. Why? He's trying to establish again in the Galatian church and those believers the authority that God has given him as an apostle. And he wants to remind them, listen, I'm not just some guy who came through sharing Jesus. I am an apostle, not by man, not not self-appointed, not by any church who decided I should be one. It is Jesus Christ himself and God the Father that has called me and sent me. When I came preaching the gospel to you, I came on mission from the Lord. Yes, I came from a local church that affirmed my calling to come. But if you read it in Book of Acts, they were sent out, it says, by the Holy Spirit. Paul was an apostle. And in the early church, the first century, the the ministry of the apostle was one of authority and specific calling from God for a specific task of laying down the foundation of the early church. You'll remember Jesus when he had many disciples in his earthly ministry. It tells us both in the Gospel of Mark and Luke that he took 12 out of that group of disciples and he called them apostles. These 12 men were selected for a more specific calling and ministry, not just like the other disciples. They were going to be tasked with the early work of the church, laying the foundation. These are the men that wrote the New Testament. These are the men that went out in the book of Acts and pioneered the early church. It is their foundational ministry that we still study and read today. That authority that Paul had, that's the same authority that you and I embrace when we read his letters. That authority came from God, not from Paul. We don't read Paul because he was a really a, a great Christian man. He was. We read Paul, we study Paul because he ministered under the authority of Jesus Christ and God the Father. What he wrote was inspired of God. And we are reading what he was preaching. We are reading what he wrote to reinforce what he preached to those churches. We're talking about his authority, and that was being challenged. These other teachers were coming in and saying, yeah, yeah, we know what Paul told you, but hey, listen now to what we're telling you. Paul, he he calls himself an apostle. He wasn't one of the original 12. He thinks he's an apostle. We don't know, but here, here, listen to what we have to say. And these Galatians were persuaded, and they were swayed. And Paul's calling was unique. He wasn't amongst those original 12 that Jesus called apostles. Now, we remember one of them fell off, right? Judas became a traitor. They were down to 11. In the book of Acts, they drew lots and assigned another man, a man by the name of Matthias, to replace Judas. They got their number back to 12. But it was Jesus himself who met Paul on the road to Damascus, and from there and other 
uh, revelations from God, Paul was called and added to the group of apostles. And he himself is reminding this church of his authority. Apostle simply means one sent out on a mission, a sent person. But in the New Testament, the apostle, capital A, this was a very prominent position of ministry, and it came with authority from Jesus Christ himself. And we today, we embrace this same authority in that we, we see Scripture as our authority for Christian living. Oh, there's a lot of ideas, a lot of experiences, but ultimately we have to find our foundation in the Word of God. We have to come back to the same authority that the Galatians needed to come back to, and that was the teaching of the apostle. Isn't that what Acts 2.42 says? They gave themselves daily to what? The teaching of the apostles. The apostles wrote the gospels. The apostles wrote the letters. They laid that foundation, and their authority still speaks today, preserved for us in the New Testament, anointed by the Holy Spirit. It's still alive and active as it was in the first century. We embrace this authority, and Paul is calling them back to that. But I want to say something else, not just the authority that Paul is emphasizing here, but a little insight here just into his calling because I think there's some application for us. Now, we're not called to be apostles. That was a unique calling in that day for, the, for those apostles. So we're not called as apostles, but we are all still what? Called. And we see that, that Paul's calling came from God. It, man doesn't call. Man doesn't establish ministry. We don't self-appoint. Yeah, you know, I think I want to be a pastor, and I'm just going to, no, you may think that, but unless God's called you to do that, you better not get started. It's not, it's going to be, it's not going to have that anointing of God. You see, because when God calls, he also equips and empowers with the Holy Spirit. So it's not just pastors and leaders, but it's all of us that have been called to function within the body of Christ. Now, this is just a clear New Testament doctrine. I share this often. I could put up a dozen verses for us or more to remind you that God has a calling on your life. And it's not from man, but it's from him. Now, it may be affirmed by man, just as it was for Paul. It may be that the church would acknowledge and say, wow, this brother, this sister, there's an anointing on their life. Wow, they have a gift with children. Wow, this brother just has a gift of service. This sister, wow, hospitality. And we acknowledge those gifts that are present, evidenced by your service, evidenced by your life in Christ. The church may affirm those things, but it's God who gifts you. It's God that calls you. It's God that assigns you, each one of us, some place within the body of Christ. There are hands, there are feet, there are ears, there are eyes. All of us have a part to play. And just as Paul declared, I want to declare to you, it's God that called you. It's God that placed you there. And it's, 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 it, it, it behooves us to then to discover that. Lord, lead me. I know that I'm called to be a part of the body. Now, you start right where you are. If you're married, there's a calling. <laughs> be a good spouse for God. If you're an employee, there's a place to plug in. Lord, I want to be a Christian employee. I'm going to be a Christian boss and manager. I'm going to represent Christ. This is my, my service unto you. Whatever your hand finds to do. So it's not always some, you know, 
full-time ministry work, but your life is full-time ministry. And God has called you and placed you in that, that, that office. So it's, it's good to know that God has got a calling for you. Uh, Paul is going to say later, God, God separated me from my mother's womb. I mean, this calling has been on you and me from birth. God has a plan for your life. God has something specific for you to glorify him. I'm talking about living for the glory of God. First thing you've got to know, God's called me. God's called me to service. God's called me to function within his kingdom and within his plan. And so it's good to know that he's called you. It's also good to know that no man can take that away from you. Man didn't give it to you. Man can't take it from you. God is the one that is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He that has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Nothing and no one can stop you from fulfilling the call of God upon your life. The only way that it can't happen is if you set it down, if you shy away, if you disregard But for the heart that is engaged in wanting to be available to God and his purpose for their life, God is the one that calls, God is the one that equips, and God is the one that ultimately fulfills. Now, it may take time for you to discover the full measure of what God has for you. It does. I think we're all still learning more about what God has for our lives. But boy, it starts with recognizing that he has something and starting to pursue that and pray accordingly and allow God to develop that in you. So Paul is an apostle, and we consider the messenger. Let's also consider the message itself. Look again, verse 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Paul just can't help himself. Even in his introduction, he's preaching the gospel. He's restating the truth of the gospel. And he needs to because this church is getting off course. This church is distracted with rules and ceremonies and dietary laws and Sabbaths and holy days and circumcision. And, and, and Paul is saying, hey, 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 remember, salvation has come from God through the gift of his son who died for our sins. You being circumcised isn't going to forgive sins. You watching your dietary uh, rules is not going to help you become more right standing or more righteous before God. Jesus Christ is the reason you stand forgiven before God who gave himself for our sins. You know, that message should never lose truth in our hearts. We're going to celebrate it here at the table. And what did Jesus say? As often as you partake of this, do it how? In remembrance of me. We must never forget that Jesus came from heaven on a rescue mission to die and on a cross and pay the price for our sins. It's an expression of love It's also an expression of God's justice concerning sin. Sin is not winked at. Sin is not, well, you know, kind of just looked away. Sin is dealt with. Sin is paid for. 
and it was paid for by Jesus. Now, you've got a lot of people that love you, probably in your family. I hope so. Some friends, people that you love. But greater love has no man than he that would lay his life down for his friends. Jesus came to die. Yes, thank God for his life. Thank God for the example, for his teaching, for his wisdom, for the the model of living that he gave us. But listen, all of that was simply to lead up to and affirm the cross. That's where salvation was purchased. It can't be discovered by being a good person. It can't be found by just kind of keeping the scales balanced on the good side. Something has to be done about sin. And it has to be paid for by the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Let's never forget what Jesus has done for us. Paul puts it right into his introductory remarks. Churches, listen to me. Jesus gave himself for your sin. That's how you got forgiven. That's how you stand right before God. And he says, to deliver you from this present evil age. Not just be forgiven so you can go back and do it all over again in this present evil age. God came to save you out of that, that age. And when he says age here, he's not talking about his generation there in the first century. He's talking about the, the spirit of the world, the spirit of the age. He's talking about the fallen world of mankind. Jesus came to rescue you out of that. Not to give you license to keep you know, living in it, but to save you from it, to deliver you out of this present evil age. Do you have to look very far to see that we are still living in a present evil age, that we live in a fallen world, even in the best of society, even in the the best of maybe uh, prosperity in the world, even in America, we live in a present evil age. And that has to be understood in the heart of the believer. God didn't come to, to help, help you live the, the, the life you always dreamed of in this world. God came to rescue you out of this fallen world and to live the life he has called you to in this present age. You live now as a light. You live as a missionary. You live as one for the glory of God. Jesus said, let men see your good works and that they would glorify your Father in heaven. You're a light of the world. You're salt of the earth. Remember this prayer from Jesus. You don't need to turn. Let me quote it to you. I didn't have time to get this to the overhead for you, but listen. John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. This is a prayer for you and I. He says to the Father, I have given them your word. John 17, 14 through 16. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Did you hear that? You're not of this world. Jesus was not of this world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should should keep them from the evil one, that they are not of of the world, just as I am not of the world. Listen to the prayer of Christ. This world is not my kingdom. This world is under the the ruler of the evil one. It's a present evil age. 
Jesus said, I'm not of this world. I didn't come to, to, to make it in this world. I came to save men from this world. And to, not to take you out yet, but to leave you in it, but protected from the evil one. You are no longer under the power and persuasion of the devil. Satan has no power over the believer's life. Oh, he can tempt, he can taunt, he can accuse, he can make trouble, but he cannot ultimately stop what God has purposed for you in Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And Jesus prayed. Don't you know when Jesus prays, the Father answers. And Jesus prayed, Father, I didn't come into this world to become a part of it. I came to save it. And these that have believed in me, my disciples, you and me, the church, what would ultimately become the church. Father, I pray that you would protect them while they're here. But they are not of this world either. They're of me. They're of my kingdom. Listen, believer, we have to know this down in our heart. We have to know that although we live in this world and we should do our best and be engaged in every way that we can, we are not of this world. You are in the world. You're not of this world. Your home is eternally with him. That changes perspective. That changes motivation. It changes priorities. And, and, and that's a healthy thing. Allow God to refocus your heart, to recast your vision for your life. Start living for the glory of God. Start thinking about living for Christ and Christ alone. And this is what he says in the end. We've talked about the messenger, the message. Look at the motive. Verse 5, to him to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God's desire for you and me is to glorify him. Jesus told his disciples, by this my father is glorified in that you bear much fruit. What kind of fruit? The fruit that comes from abiding relationship with him, the branch. You're the, that's the vine and branches passage. And he says, this is how you glorify God. You bear fruit. You represent Christ. You allow the Holy Spirit to bear the marks and fruit of, of God's love in this world. And, and in so doing, you are, you are glorifying God. That's why we were created, by a loving creator. And notice how he, how he said earlier that all of this uh, that God has done, um, back in verse 4, according to the will of our God and Father. Listen, God wanted to save God wanted to send his son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This was not, this was not God doing something against his will. This was God expressing his will. I love you. This world is not where it's at. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to come up empty. Sin's going to take a toll on you. It's going to wear you down and wear you out. It's going to kill you. It's going to destroy your family. It's going to take from your marriage. It's going to make you miserable at work. It's going to frustrate you everywhere you go. I've come to save you from that. I love you. Come. I've come that you might have life. I've come that my joy would be full. I've come to rescue you. Come. 
Come to Christ and live for Christ. Experience the fullness of what you were created for to glorify him. This is just the beginning. This is just the rescue mission for what God really has intended. Eternal life. Oh, we don't even know all that, that God has planned, but we know something because the Spirit of God has revealed it to us. We've tasted it. We know it's true. And for believers, for this church in Galatia, kind of putting it in the, into the context, you kind of see Paul setting this up. The rest of the letter is going to say, what's wrong with you guys? Why are you going back into these religious, empty you know, roads when you've got the best of the best? Jesus has come. And saved you and filled you with his spirit to live for him in a loving relationship with God. Not based on works, which none of us can keep, but based on his grace. Based on what God the Father intended all along to save you. To send his son for you. To die on that cross for your sins so that you might now live in relationship with him. Oh, God has something good for us in this life, in this world, even though we're not of this world. But God has something even better for us eternally. And Jesus has paved the way. The resurrection is the proof of that. Don't you feel that way sometimes? What are you living for? Think about it. What are your priorities today? What's big on your list? Is glorifying your Father in heaven, is that high on the list? It should be number one. Is that, what's, is that what you're worried about tomorrow, Monday morning? Oh, I got to get out there and glorify God. Well, I don't know. Maybe he'll get glorified, but I, oh, I got all kinds of other issues I got to focus on. Focus, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other things will be added. Now, again, I'm not talking about getting out there and doing more works. I'm talking about going out there and living for Christ. Be on mission be on point with, with whatever he has for you, recognizing that he saved you for that purpose and that calling. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for just this introduction into the book of Galatians. I'm excited about it, Lord, for our church. I think there's just such rich and practical truth for us. And as we close today, Lord, I, I'm thankful that we're able to celebrate this at the communion table. And that's what that table is. It's a celebration of what Jesus Christ has done. A remembrance, but also, Lord, a refreshing in our hearts that Jesus died for our sins by the will of God, our Father, that we should no longer be living for ourselves, but for him, the glory of God, the Father. And so I pray for us as a people, Lord, that we would live for your glory. As our heads are bowed, and just before we partake of the elements, if you're here today and the Lord is speaking to you in a way that you need to respond, maybe you've never received this work of salvation, but today you realize it's in Christ and nowhere else. I need to receive it by faith. I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here today because you need to recommit, reorder your heart in, in the Lord. Maybe if you're honest, you're saying, you know what? I'm not living to glorify God. I'm pretty much living for myself and hoping God will just help. I need to reorder my heart, Lord. I I need to come back to your calling, your purpose. I need to live for your glory. You're the one that saved me. You're the one that died for me. You're the one that loves me. And you just want to recommit your heart. If you're here today, you want to receive Christ or you want to recommit, reorder your heart with Christ, just raise your hand. I'll pray for you here before we 
partake of communion. God bless you. There's one here up front. In the middle, God bless. In the back, amen. Over on the other side, amen. God bless you. Number of hearts responding. Any others today? Lord speaking to you. It's between you and him. I'm just going to pray for you, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. Anyone else? Just before I pray. Amen. Amen. Lord, for these hearts responding, I pray that you would meet them. Meet them with the love and grace and power of salvation. Lord, there may be some that are just for the first time saying, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. You died for me. It's time for me to receive it and embrace it. I can't be good enough or or balance the scales. I, I need what you have accomplished for me, and I receive it today by faith. Forgive me, cleanse me, change me. And Lord, there may be hearts today simply saying, God, I, I need to come back to you. I know this truth, but Lord, I've been distracted with my own agenda, or I've been under some condemnation thinking I'm not good enough. And Lord, I realize today, You're my Savior. You're the one that calls. You're the one that equips. You're the one that rescues. I just want to live for your glory. Help me today. Reorder my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.